0: Welcome to the Masterful Coach Podcast with Molly Claire. If you're a coach who's ready to impact more lives, make more money, and create a life you love, you're in exactly the right place. Get the support you deserve as a female entrepreneur, master your coaching skills, grow your ideal business, and honor your priorities in your personal life. Are you in? Let's get started with your host bestselling author and master
1: life and business coach, Molly Claire. Hey coaches, I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest, Dr. Sasha Hines. Before I tell you a little bit about her background and our story in this interview, I want to make sure that you all are registered for the program Powerhouse Webinar. It is going to be an incredible webinar this coming Monday. I am collaborating with Chris Jones who does story brand copywriting. So, as you know, I offer my Create Your Killer Program program for coaches that want to really solidify a clear program and their offer to go along with it. Well, I've worked closely with Chris personally and what she does is the next step of that, where you are actually creating a polished sales page with copy that converts. So she and I decided to come together this coming Monday, the Program Powerhouse webinar. We will both be there sharing tips and tricks and also, by the way, helping you to know how you can get a pretty sweet Black Friday deal, even though Black Friday is now behind us. So make sure that you go to mollyclare.com and register there. All right, coaches, let's talk about Sasha Hines. Sasha and I have known each other for quite a few years now. We met at Life Coach Training. And what I love about Sasha's story, as you will soon find out, is just how committed she is to giving quality coaching and a stellar experience to her clients. So Sasha attended Harvard University for her bachelor's degree, went on to get a master's in applied positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania, and also a PhD in developmental psychology at Columbia University. And so we all know, right, as a coach, that you don't need that many letters behind your name in order to start a coaching business. But for Sasha... She was so interested in developing her knowledge and her skills to the highest degree possible. And every step of the way, she knew that in the end, what she wanted to do was to be a coach. As you will hear from Sasha, she is passionate about using psychology and all that we understand about the brain to actually help people move forward and expand. This conversation was so much fun. We are talking about having a quality coaching practice, having a coaching business with ethics, and really being able to serve your clients at a high level. Sasha is also talking about toxic positivity and how she doesn't believe it's positivity at all. I hope you love this conversation as much as I enjoyed chatting with her. All right, let's go ahead and get started with Dr. Sasha Hines. All right, coaches. So here we are with Dr. Sasha Hines. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Molly. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, so good to have you. We are just talking about, I think we've known each other now since 2016 or 2017. Mm-hmm. Yep. Time yep. flight. Oh no, and 2016. I think it was May, 2016. May, yeah. And it's so crazy to think about how much has changed in the coaching space, in the yep. psychology space, and yep. just the world, the market, everything. So. Yep. Yeah, so
2: much. I Um, see a lot of changes, especially in coaching.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and from a marketing perspective, right, like in the market and also the way coaching is done and and all of it. So we're going to talk about toxic positivity today. But before we do, tell everyone who you are, what you do. All right. So I I mean,
2: I think that I'm actually sort of a small, there's a small group of us, perhaps, but anyway, a psychologist and coach, both. Mm -hmm. I went on this journey to get my doctorate in developmental psychology and went to UPenn to get my degree in positive psychology with the intention of being a coach. So all of my academic work was with the intention of becoming a coach, which at the time, and in, It's it's sort of hard to put this in context, but you know, it's important to understand that back in really aughts, coaching was not what it is today. Most Mm -hmm. people didn't really know what a life coach was. It was what is this thing? It was just emerging. And so when I was at especially at Columbia getting my doctorate the idea I mean I would so devoce say that I was going to I wanted to be a coach because we're like what are you doing here you don't need these credentials but I felt I did because I think one of my missions and I feel so strongly about this is to to elevate the field of coaching to elevate and what I would call it and I and you know whether this sticks and takes off or not but I'm a psychodevelopmentalist. I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm a psychodevelopmentalist. There is just as much need to work on your growth and development because growth and development is hard. Mm -hmm. Most people do not have psychological wounds that they need to heal. And and people are going to push back on this. They don't like to hear this. Mm -hmm. Most people don't have a clinical psychological problem. Mm -hmm. Most people, 80% of people, that's the statistic, mm-hmm. and and I'm saying it is a, a slice of time, right? So in a mm-hmm. snapshot of time, eighty mm-hmm. percent of people aren't struggling with a clinical disorder. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you haven't had something in the past. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Okay, but in a if we're just taking a slice, like what's happening right now, about eighty percent of people don't have a clinical psychological problem. Twenty mm-hmm. percent do. That's still pretty high, right? But mm-hmm. that's the most mm-hmm. the majority of people don't, and. It's so important to me to to help people understand that most of our daily problems, most of the problems that we're having in our relationships, in work, with our kids, just with our own sense of self are not disease, disorder, dysfunction, Mm -hmm. not psychopathology. Mm -hmm. It is developmental stagnation. It is arrested development. That is what's happening. So you haven't grown as you know, your internal mental framework perhaps has not grown as you've grown, as you've evolved, your thinking hasn't necessarily evolved. Mm -hmm. And so the way that you conceptualize the world isn't sophisticated enough for the problems you're facing, right? Mm -hmm. So this is what most people are actually struggling with. Mm -hmm. And to me, seeing it in that way is so hopeful. You know, it's so expansive because. It's so easy to kind of get into the despair of you know I'm never going to be able to heal the wounds and we spend so much time marinating in our stories about the past trying to unlock whatever is holding us back but that's not how growth happens we heal the past by moving forward we heal the past actually by taking responsibility of our present and future and that's actually how we do it so I get, I mean, I'm going to, I get really intense about this, but it really matters to me because what we're yeah. doing, this work of psychodevelopmentalist, like as a psychodevelopmentalist and this, mm-hmm. your psychodevelopment, adult development mm-hmm. is not flimsy. It shouldn't be relegated to the self-help aisle of like mm-hmm. inspirational speakers and, you mm-hmm. know, spiritual gurus or whatever. It It's like, this is actually the central work of humaning. It's I, deeply important and it requires that we have some Theoretical knowledge and some frame like what frameworks are we using? What are mm-hmm. the tools? Is it grounded in research? Like all of this stuff is really
1: important. I don't know that this is exactly what you're saying, but this is what this made me think of to some degree. That first of all, this is one thing I love about about you, and I feel like very much aligns with the message here, which is like let's raise the bar for coaches in this industry. Totally, let's be no. ethical. Let's be safe. Let's have integrity. Let's have high standards. Let's have not only practices with our clients, but practices in our business that we're proud of, right? Because anything goes, we don't have to be ethical, but maybe we should. (laughs) Maybe it's a good idea, right? For our own well-being and others. Totally. But yeah, what I love about you is because you've, you've always knew that you wanted to go into the coaching space, right? And you did A deep dive into education and research and all the things. And as you were talking, I was thinking about this idea that oftentimes people that dive deep into the education of psychology are to treat those mental disorders and problems Mm -hmm. versus let's grow human beings to expand, right? And it's a similar thing with physical health, right? All the focus on, you know, fixing disease and managing that, which is important, right? Right. But, yep. where's the part where more of our focus is on expanding our health and wellness physically? And it's the same kind of thing, right?
2: Right. And I think the the field of psychology and psychology as a practice, so the the you know, psychotherapy and for psychologists, et cetera, was really built out of the medical model. so mm-hmm. it's it's really a sort of an extension of the medical model. So yeah. it is, you know, you're sick. you need to be treated by a doctor. And so in Western medicine, things are starting to change, but it's still really largely the case that if you want to do something that isn't necessarily in that sort of model of like, you're sick and I need to treat the sickness and I'm going to treat the acute problem. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I'm not going to really treat it until it becomes acute. That's how it right. works, <laughs> um, right? Like you're pre-diabetic. Yeah. We're not that concerned with you, but like now your numbers have tipped the scale. And now all of a sudden, like you're an important person. <laughs> now we need to treat yeah. you. And yeah. in fact, there probably was a lot that could have been done intervention wise earlier on, but and that's I not how the medical model ways- works. And the same thing is true with psychology, right? That, that we have this. And, and if in the Western medical model, it's an alternative someone who's using alternative practices that's doing more of the prevention work mm-hmm. and this is changing but it's not there yet and the same is true in psychology like it's exactly the same thing it was like you're a coach you're kind of the alternative practitioner
1: mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. it's it's an alternative and not really not really that substantial or that important it's kind of the idea right and it's so interesting because i mean i just think it lends itself to reinforcing unwellness because like when are we going to say how important growth is even for our like well-being right my view is that I think we are designed to connect right we are beings that are wired for connection and Mm -hmm. also we crave growth and development that's where we find satisfaction in life it's all we do that's right. That's it's right. The human
2: organism is growing and developing from cradle to grave. That's it. Yeah. That's what's happening. Yeah. You know, you if you look at like what we actually are, you know, by, as an organism, what we do. I mean, how could you, how could you look at the trajectory of a human organism and not think mm, maybe this growth thing is kind of central? Mm, right. You know what I mean? Yes. Like we're we're evolving and changing from the minute we're conceived until our last breath.
1: Yeah. So one question I have for you, kind of going back to something you mentioned, then I want to talk about toxic positivity specifically Mm -hmm. here. But, you know, you were talking about growth and development coming from focusing on the present and the future and not necessarily the past. And I guess I'm curious to know how, in your view, it fits in when people are doing trauma work. Like a lot Mm -hmm. of the work that I do, even in my upcoming holistic training, is really attending to emotions that are stored in the body, which is, of Mm -hmm. course, part of the past. So I'm just curious to know how you view that fitting into the development.
2: In my opinion, if you're working on somatic work to manage your, to sort of regulate your nervous system and sort mm-hmm. of retrain your nervous system
1: mm-hmm. to,
2: to not be so activated by certain mm-hmm. things, right? And we know that that's mm-hmm. possible to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, You're
2: giving your nervous system new information and you're also giving your mind because your mind is just a constant prediction machine. That's what it's doing it's predicting mm-hmm. the future based on what it's experienced in the past that's what your mind is doing. So you're giving yourself new evidence, new information that's actually going to change the way that we predict that's Mm -hmm. totally possible. So that's what we're doing. But you're doing that in the present. The person that's actually going and doing somatic work and working with someone to really truly work on this stuff, like they're doing that in the present. This is like, Mm -hmm. this is happening now. My concern is the person who's sitting in a therapist's office that's been sitting in a therapist's office for 10 years, talking about things that have happened to them in the past, wanting to cognitively unravel something that Mm -hmm. happened years ago. But what's happened is they're just, it's like they're bonded to the story Mm -hmm. of what's happened. And that's not where the healing occurs. The healing occurs in the present. It's Mm -hmm. right. I mean, you can't go back. I mean... if if you're injured, you break a bone, you don't go back and unbreak the bone. The bone is broken. Right, right. Right. You have to treat it now. So much of what I do is actually referring people who are not ready to do the work that I do with people to the proper Mm -hmm. practitioner, right? So someone who's wanting to do growth work and then it, it becomes very clear that perhaps they've had some really big thing happen you know maybe there was sexual abuse maybe they were in a you know an abusive relationship maybe they're dealing with grief um they lost someone and they're just not really able to haven't processed it so there are, there are a lot or or something whatever happened and they need to first kind of first of all just acknowledge it right cuz mental health right. is a commitment to reality at all costs so mm-hmm. i'm working with someone i'm like oh you haven't committed to reality Mm -hmm. this is what's going on. Mm -hmm. So there's another person who's better and more equipped to do this than I am. So that's what I would recommend, right? Go there first and then we can. Yeah. Yeah. Do this work. Right. Once, because I think you have to acknowledge what's happened. It's like, that's not what no one's calling for denial. And I mean, yeah, that we can get, that's related to my thoughts about toxic positivity.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. So, and this is what I wanted to highlight because I know that oftentimes, and especially with years of training coaches and helping them use, you know, a cognitive framework, it's like, it is, I think it's both important to acknowledge that we're not in the past, we are here, look at what is possible going forward. And it's also important that we don't deny or, right, close down things that need to be attended to that have been created from our past, right? And I think that's where we can get into. Yeah, some of this ways of shutting down our thoughts, our feelings, all of those things in an effort to move forward. And it doesn't really work. We kind of come to a stopping point when we're trying to do that.
2: Yeah. Totally. A cognitive solution is going to be equally as ineffective retrospectively as it is going to be prospectively. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you're just trying to fix things in your mind, and that's not translating into taking uncomfortable, brave actions, Mm -hmm. so if the thought is not lead, if the new, like I'm going to write a new story, that's what we're doing. We're constructing a new story, a new identity from here on out. Who am I going to be? Okay. That's part of the growth work. And if you're committing to that new identity, new story of who you are, then that must lead to new uncomfortable actions.
1: Mm-hmm. Right?
2: Mm-hmm. Because what you need to do is you actually need to train your unconscious processes to not be so afraid of various things to be actually to right. You're trying to change the prediction machine mm-hmm. and predict other things. Mm-hmm. So it starts with the mind, but it can't end with the mind. It's not okay, it's necessary so, but not sufficient,
1: yeah. So along the lines of toxic positivity, what is it? How do you define it?
2: So, I don't love the phrase toxic positivity. I take umbrage with this phrase because I think it's not accurate. Mm-hmm. Essentially, what I presume people mean by toxic positivity is when you are going through something and it's tough. It's The, re- the reality is it was something really intense and then you're you're feeling feelings. You're sad, you're grieving, you're devastated, mm-hmm. you're disappointed, whatever the feeling is. And someone's mm-hmm. sort of trying to say to you, hey it's not that bad. Look on the bright side, you know, and trying to talk you out of your emotional experience. Okay. Yeah. But why I don't love this phrase is that that's not positivity. That's actually not, that's not by definition. Like there's not positivity. Toxic positivity is just, it's just emotional dismissal. It's emotional denial. So that's all it is. So let's just call it what it actually is,
1: mm-hmm. right? Which
2: is, I'm uncomfortable with your feelings. So I'm going to try to talk you out of your feelings because I don't want to deal with them because it's too much mm-hmm. for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's what someone's doing, mm-hmm. but that's not positive. Mm-hmm. And the reason I actually care about this is because I think that given our, the negativity bias, like given our sort of propensity to see things in a more catastrophic negative way, which mm-hmm. is the way that the brain is the bias heuristic of the mind, that's how we work to come from a place of genuine positivity where you're trying to see something in a more expansive way. You're mm-hmm. trying to bring joy, light, whatever to a situation. You're hunting the good stuff mm-hmm. it takes a ton of courage and it's hard. It's hard. So I think that from the beginning, like from the beginning of, you know, positive psychology movement, when this began in the early aughts, Seligman, mm-hmm. it really began like 1999, 2000, in that time when he was president of the APA and and the field of positive psychology really took off. It was then to address an imbalance. The imbalance of research, which was so much more, was attended to disease, disorder, dysfunction. And so very little research was attending to what's right with us, what makes life worth living, um, what makes people thrive? How do people become incredibly successful, talented? You know, he, what's a peak human experience? Like not, there was very little research, and that was kind of sidelined because triage is more important, right? The person who's sick is more important than the person who's okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So
2: that's what was happening. And then, but it's interesting because very early on, even like 2005, 2006, there were articles like the science of happiness with like a yellow smiley face. Right. Which is so pejorative, like because it's happiness or because it's, we're talking about positivity and thriving and flourishing, somehow it's less important. It's less, mm-hmm. you know, there's less gravity to this mm-hmm. topic. Mm-hmm. It's like, Why? If you ask anyone yeah. what their goals are for themselves or their kids, what's the number one goal? I want to be happy. I want my kids to be happy. I want them to thrive. Yeah. Like it's the yeah. most important thing. Yes, right. It's so true. I mean, and, Find me a parent who's like, I just want my kids not
1: to be depressed. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's not, not. You're never no. going to hear parents say that. No, no. So when you were talking, because there's. Right. There's toxic positivity, or like you said, not really positivity at all, where we're trying to just dismiss and minimize and shut down feelings because we want, we feel uncomfortable. And also, I know I have for sure seen this with my clients as they understand more about how the way we think impacts the way that we feel. And suddenly, right now I have this awareness and now I'm going to use it against myself to shut down and dismiss my own feelings. So I think it can come from outside, but it can come from inside, right? And I think especially, okay, let's talk about the relationship space, right? Where it is a good idea to be realistic about who your partner is, right? And what expectations you have that you may or may not want to keep or let go. And I've also seen it where Coaches are kind of using this work, whether it's right, this idea of the manual or letting go of expectations. Yep. And what it actually turns into is I'm going to let go of anything I want, anything I care about. Like I'm going to minimize all of my needs and thoughts about this and say that they don't matter, which is very different. Yeah. It's kind of letting go of expectations.
2: Yeah. It's classic right. codependency.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think in a way, this idea of, being positive when it goes toward the toxic positivity side, which I keep, like like you said, it's not really positivity at all, right? But when it goes that way, it seems like a good idea. It seems noble. It seems positive. But I think in reality, it is getting us further away from happiness and true positivity, right? Whether from other people or from ourselves.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that, so this is not my, um, it's not my phrase unfortunately it's such a beautiful one um but m scott peck i sort of you know one of america's most honored and respected psychologists or i think it was a psycho i think he was actually a psychiatrist anyhow wrote many many books in you know the 20th century and one the way he defines mental health is mental health is a commitment to reality at all costs mm. okay so if we're if that's the premise that's the foundation like number 1 first and foremost, you got to commit to reality at all costs. If your husband is abusive, that is reality. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then the question is, how am I contributing to this dynamic? That's also reality. How am I afraid to confront what's actually going on? That's also reality, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. But what to me, what is approaching this from a more in terms of positive, negative, like, does that even matter I don't know. But what I would say is if you want to, you can despair over this reality or you can be hopeful about this reality. You can believe that there is a way forward. You can believe that, that you are capable of overcoming this. Like you can, you, you can be like, I have a nervous system response that makes me freeze and shut down because of things that have happened to me. And I can do something about it. I can, I can have agency. I can have agency in my life. Right? And so To me, the name of the game with whether positivity matters or not, I don't even think positive psychology should be called positive psychology. Like at the end of the day, I think that we've, we've kind of like worshiped positivity and I'm like, I don't think we need to worship positivity. I think we need to, but we should be focusing on is our growth. And a lot of times Mm -hmm. growth requires discomfort and on, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of things that are scary Mm -hmm. and uncomfortable that you wouldn't classically call positive, Mm -hmm. right? But first and foremost, commit to reality at all costs. But approaching something positively would be like, man, what you are going through is so unbelievably hard and I'm here for you and I believe that there's a pathway forward and when you're ready, I'm here to support you and I walk through this fire with you. That is positivity. Positivity is not minimizing, dismissing, Mm -hmm. you're invalidating somebody. Mm -hmm. You're not even connecting with them. You're not listening to them. It's Mm -hmm. all about your own discomfort.
1: So when you say, cause you're, I know you're using this word reality a lot, right? Like facing reality. And we know that's so subjective, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you talk about that with, with your clients? I mean, I always think of whatever my client is experiencing is the reality of their experience. Their fe- like feelings. Are very real and substantial. And I don't think we realize that we think that feelings are just something that's, you know, fluffy or optional or something. But anyway, that's that's a topic for another day. But I'm curious to know how you talk about that with your clients, reality, knowing that things are subjective based on our lens, our own framework.
2: Right, exactly. I mean, this is probably some debate that a philosopher should um, you know, weigh in on uh above my pay grade. But what I mean by reality is what are the facts in front of you? I mean, I see this happening a lot in relationships so much where someone is minimizing and, and like ignoring what's happening to them. Like it's Mm -hmm. fine. It's okay. But Mm -hmm. the truth for them is they actually have an inner knowing. Mm -hmm. If they were being honest, there's an inner knowing that they either don't like what's going on. They're resentful of what's going on they're upset yes. about what's happening. And that is actually the deeper truth.
1: The rest yes. of it is yes. just like, you I know, a gilding a the point. turn. Right? Like if I'm being honest with myself, are yes. we being honest with ourselves? And sometimes we're just not sometimes because it can be painful to see what's true for us. It can be scary because what does that mean? And then do I have a choice to make or is this going to be uncomfortable? I think it can bring all of that up. So we we're not always honest with ourselves
2: almost almost always we're dishonest with ourselves the way that our our unconscious processes are largely driving our behavior our conscious processes are you know the the analogy that i love to use cuz i think it's just so accurate is you know it's a it's an elephant is your unconscious processes and then your conscious processes like your reason the way that you think and you can sort of like planning and making setting a goal and making a plan and being logical, right? All of this conscious processes, like I know that that's the right thing to do. And yet I don't do it, right? Okay. So the knowing, I know what is right here. It's this, like, it's the little rider on this big African elephant. And the African elephant is like, has a six ton weight advantage. And if the, if the elephant is activated, the rider is going to do absolutely nothing, has zero control, none. Mm-hmm. It's just along for the ride. And then what does the rider do? Your smart little rider is like, well, I'm just going to I'm going to post hoc justify what the elephant is doing because I want to make it myself feel better. So mm-hmm. the reason that my elephant did that is because of blah blah, 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 blah. right? But it's all kind of made up. right mm-hmm. what we're mo- what we mostly do is rationalize our behavior. That's mostly what we do.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay. so
2: so the the work in gr- in in growth is always, Developing a better relationship between the rider and the elephant, because the rider can train the elephant, right? Mm-hmm. It, it does have higher, you know, it has executive function, it has higher order thinking, which is powerful too.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, but it needs to use that to its advantage. It needs to stop using that power to rationalize the nonsense mm-hmm. and use that power to strategically and play, like to figure out what is the best way forward. How can I throw peanuts for the elephant to move in the direction I actually want the elephant to move?
0: Mm-hmm. and and
2: train the elephant more skillfully. Mm-hmm. And that's thought work, that is self-awareness, like really paying attention to what's happening. All of these practices that are so important to be able to see wait, what is actually going on here can really help this process. But mm-hmm. these are the skills of growth. These are the skills of your development.
1: Mm-hmm. And I just like, as you were talking, I'm just thinking about it's really working with ourselves, right? Working totally. with ourselves, working with the way our brain is, the way we're wired, whatever it is. How do I work with myself to move forward? And I've been thinking so much lately about, this isn't exactly the same, but this, this just came to my mind. It's, it's been top of mind. I think that most of us in the self-help world or in the you know growth and coaching space, There's this idea, right, that the degree to which we can grow is directly in relation to how willing we are to look at ourselves, to see ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it can have such a negative connotation like, oh, if we're willing to look at the ugly things, then we can grow. And I'm just convinced that we can, when we can actually change our experience of what it's like to look at ourselves, so instead of looking at what's ugly, just looking at, With curiosity, like how our brain works, what we struggle with, where our fears are, where that stuff is. When we can have such a supportive and connected relationship with ourselves, it's not really hard to look at ourselves. I think that's the key right there. Exactly. Approaching it with
2: without judgment, right? With step step one, the acronym I use for this for my clients, like step one is O-N-E, objective, non-judgmental, and empirical. That's how you have to approach yourself. It has to be as best you can, as best you can do it, objective, non-judgmental, empirical. And the same is true if you want a relationship with someone else that's
1: mm-hmm. has
2: a lot of love and respect, you know, and is that when they're going through something, do your best to objectively observe it, non-judgmentally, and look at the empirical data. What is the data? we never want to look at the data like we have a mm-hmm. bank account oh look at that we 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 have a scale oh look at that um right <laughs> i'm going to track my time i don't want to look at that right i don't want to actually see what i think i'm going to see because i'm afraid of it why am i afraid of it i'm afraid of it because i think i'm going to just destroy myself over yes
1: it. i'm going to judge myself i don't want to look yep. at the data because we assume that is connected with Whatever pattern we have done with ourselves, right? Blame ourselves, shame, criticize. I wish I weren't this way. All that yep. kind of stuff.
2: Right. Yeah. And it, you know, as better than anybody in the work that you do, what is the catalyst of someone who actually change? When someone is actually ready to, and you see someone on this growth arc, and they're in that action phase, they're like
1: ready to go. What have they done? Yeah. Typically, to me, it's they have been willing to have compassion on themselves, compassionate, kind, loving curiosity where there's just like holding themselves in the safest space possible.
2: Totally. And because they're holding themselves in the safest space possible, they're able to actually open their eyes and look at the bank account. They're willing to open their eyes and look at like, what did I, you know, how much am I drinking? They're able to open their eyes and look at reality they're committing to reality because they've created a safe environment for them to do so. Yep. And And that
1: is the, in my mind, there is the seed of growth is right there. It's everything. And that's why, like for those of you listening as coaches, this is why I always say your clients are going to have the greatest success based on their relationship with you, how safe they feel with you. You can have all the best tricks in the world to do, but if your client doesn't feel safe, it's not gonna work. Yeah so you know I was thinking about this idea of of us being willing to look at ourselves right when we feel safe in that way and I think a lot of times I mean think about how how often when you see someone who's really defensive or really stubborn or doesn't mm-hmm. see things and it can be easy and even with our clients right where we might wonder how can they not see this but I think that it really is like these defenses built in Because they have such quick, automatic, go-to, unkind thoughts and feelings toward themselves. And it is amazing that as we peel that back, it's like, and I know I've experienced this as I've built a better relationship with myself, I can see so many more things that Mm -hmm. I really couldn't see before because I had fears closing me off from them. Yeah, you wouldn't allow yourself to. Right. But now it's like, none of it's a threat. I see it all there. And it's not even like, oh, I see all the good, the bad and the ugly. I don't think any of it's ugly. I'm like, well, I just see it. And then I just figure out what's the problem to solve. What's not, what do I do with it? So it's just...
2: Exactly. But by the way, that is how any problem is solved. Like The the minute that we we detach from our emotions around the problem... Yes, yes. We yes. actually can take action, right? So yep. you know, I think that you can't solve a
1: problem you won't acknowledge. Yep. That's <laughs> you just right. Can't, right? Can't. So and we're so afraid to acknowledge the problems because we think it must mean that we're wrong or we're unworthy or inadequate or whatever it is. Right. Or it's impossible.
2: I've never been yes. able to do it in the past. I won't be able to do it in the future. So let's just like avoid this. I don't want to see it. I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. As opposed to what if you had the belief that there was nothing you couldn't change, there was nothing you couldn't, that there was nothing too devastating about yourself mm-hmm. that you couldn't address and change yeah. and improve. Life becomes a whole lot
1: less scary. Yes. I th- And I think that's the most powerful work that we do when we work with our clients. Really? Absolutely. Really. I was watching this little reel this morning and it was this little girl, someone was interviewing her about like how you feel loved. And she said, you know, one of the ways I feel loved is when I hug myself. And she hugged herself there and talked about how she felt relaxed. And it's like, isn't that true? When we can change our relationship with ourselves, we can feel relaxed even in looking at all the things, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, what's interesting is I actually do think that this is, this
2: is, where I think sometimes that this like toxic positivity notion, like this kind of goes, I think this is why things can go awry. And this is why people are concerned about toxic positivity is because when we're talking about having self-love and compassion, most of the time, and this is Kristen Neff's work. Um, I mean, she's the most prolific researcher on the topic of self-compassion, but there's two different kinds of self-compassion. So there's the the yin self-compassion, sort of feminine, nurturing, loving, creating safety, creating connection, just holding someone in a very, you know, in a just fluffy mm-hmm. duvet, right? I love mm-hmm. you. Yeah. I yeah. love you. Unconditional positive regard, right? Yeah. You're yeah. going to feel safe with me. But there's also another, but that's not all of it. That's not the mm-hmm. only kind of self-compassion. We also need what she calls yang self-compassion or fierce self-compassion. And that is the compassion of like, I matter, I'm worthy of love. Mm-hmm. I'm worthy of creating boundaries and not allowing people to treat me in ways that I'm not yes. okay with. Like I am actually and in, in, in the way that I would protect the people I love from being mistreated.
1: Right, I also deserve right. the
2: same care. And so what I think happens is that in under the guise of self-compassion, under the guise of loving ourselves, we treat ourselves like crap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're mm-hmm. like, but I'm loving myself and I really deserve it. And I'm just going to overeat because, you know, it's delicious. And I've just been so hard on myself that I'm going to do this. And it's like, is that truly loving? I mean, I I would, what I say about my own experience for myself is like my me time is not me time. It's mean time. I, I am staying up late just with my claws on my darn iPad Mm -hmm. to watch a show because in my mind, I'm like, well, you haven't had any time to yourself and this is all, you know, and it's like, Mm -hmm. right. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm territorially like claiming this late night TV time. It's my only guilt-free time to watch a show or whatever. Right. Right. And then what happens? I wake up the next morning. I feel terrible. I'm tired.
1: I'm exhausted. Like it was absolutely not in my best interest. Right. Right. And right. when we can, like you were saying, when we can say I'm worthy, like I'm going to set boundaries, I'm going to take care of myself, we typically don't get to that place of feeling desperate to have this like me time that's not doesn't really serve us, right? And so absolutely, it's like when we can feel worthy and, and important enough and set boundaries and kind of stand up for ourselves in that way, we feel more well, right? right. And then we, yeah but we, it's like choices. in some way my
2: mind uses the compassion in in a sort of perverse way right so yeah, it, yeah. it like uses this compassionate voice to justify non compassionate actions towards myself so The the voice in my mind is like, but you deserve it. And you've worked so hard today. And you've like, you know, you've put out for so many people and this is your time. And like, right, Right, it sounds very lovely. It sounds very nice. But the reality is, and how do you know when you're doing this? Like, Would I allow this justification to stand with someone I love, i.e. my kids? What I say to my kid, you know what? You had a really, really long day. You did, you know, you you had a tournament today and you played four games of lacrosse and you've had such a long day and you just put out for every, for your team. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know what? You deserve to stay up until one o'clock playing video games. Like you deserve it. Right,
1: right. I'm, no, you I'm tell them, you go to bed. You should let your body rest. Correct. Right? right.
2: My my compassion is fierce. It's the fierce mm-hmm. self-compassion. It is No, mm-hmm. I'm protecting you from your own like lesser instincts. Right. I'm going to yeah. actually protect you by giving you the thing you actually need. Like what you really need right now is rest. Mm-hmm. And and I'm going to hold that boundary and I'm going to be willing for you to be mad at me because mm-hmm. I actually care so much about you Yeah, that I don't really, my yeah. love for you trumps any concern I have that yes. you're mad at me tonight.
1: I love that distinction because you hear that a lot, right? People, I mean, a lot of times my clients are like, well, if I'm nice to myself, I won't expect anything of myself. I'm like, mm, that's not that that's not exactly how it works. So I love that distinction between those because two. Because that's like,
2: it's approaches. like, the, and and I think that the, the like where this gets so murky is it's like what they think is nice is actually just enabling. It's not yeah, nice. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Letting someone be their worst self under the guise of niceness isn't nice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not Mm -hmm. compassionate. It's not
1: really believing in yourself actually either. Correct. Right? Because if you believe in someone, you want to like empower them and tell them they can do it. Not to say, well, it's okay. Just like let go of what you really want. It's probably too hard. Right. (laughs) Like the, the kindest
2: thing that I do for myself is when I actually believe that I can create a better future. Mm-hmm. And that is going to take effort, and it's going to be hard, and I'm not going to want to do it right now. But the the love is you deserve a future that you love. You, yeah. I want that for you. I want you to yeah. have a future that's, like, that's better than what's happened, right? That yeah. I, I want you to overcome this nonsense because I care about you, because I can't bear to, you know, look into the crystal ball and see in five yeah. years, you're still dealing with this. Yeah. I can't bear yeah. it because I love yeah. you. That's right. right. That's and right. Like, I just think so much. And I, you know, I think the one of the easiest ways to conceptualize this is to think about the way we parent our children and the different parenting styles. So there is four different kind of, you know, mm-hmm. loosely, there's four different mm-hmm. buckets of parenting styles. And it's sort of on a axis of support versus expectations. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so if you have high support, high expectations, you're what we call an authoritative parent. You are, you hold boundaries, you're demanding, but you also high support, high, high, high support, high expectations, right? So I expect Mm -hmm. a lot of you, but I'm also going to give you a very soft landing. And I'm also going to give you a lot of support along the way. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's an authoritative parent. That's, that's our aspirational parent, right? Mm -hmm. That's how we want to be with our kids. Yeah. Then if you have high expectations, low support, then you're the authoritarian parent. That's the drill sergeant who's like, just because- My way or the highway. My (laughs) way or the highway. Like, I don't care what your thoughts are. I don't care what your feelings are. I don't care what you want. You're going to do what I say,
1: Mm -hmm. right?
2: And you're going to do it with some excellence. Like, I'm going to hold you to a high standard and give you no support.
1: Yeah. yeah, Okay.
2: And then we get into where I think most women struggle in this area, actually, is you get into- high support, low expectation. Okay. This is, this is nice guys. This is where we're uh-huh. nice to. We have high support, low expectations of ourselves. Yeah, This is yeah. called permissive parenting. Yep. Okay. Permissive parenting in the literature, if you look at the research has bad outcomes, mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> not great I mean, outcomes.
1: Okay. And we're seeing a lot of it, right?
2: It's and and think about the underlying premise of a permissive parent. I don't believe you're capable. Mm-hmm. I don't believe you're capable of doing better. I don't believe you're mm-hmm. capable of accomplishing this thing. I don't think you're capable mm-hmm. of helping me to do the dishes. I don't think you're capable of making your bed. I don't think you're capable of doing your homework by yourself. So I'm going to swoop in and do it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fine. I'm going to give you a hall pass forever, always, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because you had a hard day. Things were tough for you today. That's yeah. what a yeah, yeah. parent does. Yeah. Like, you had a really hard day at school, so you don't have to come home
1: and do your chores. And I think a lot of times it's because also we're, as parents, very uncomfortable with holding the line and having someone be upset, having our kids be upset, having them feel something negative, right? hundred percent. Yeah. And here's what I would say. If you struggle with your own
2: yang, fierce self-compassion, and that's the voice of no sweetheart, it's time to go to bed. No, you've, you made a commitment that you were going to get on, you know, you were going to go to that workout and it's, it's, you're going to honor that commitment because it's going to make you feel better in, mm-hmm. in an hour. You're going to feel a whole lot better. It's mm-hmm. going to, you know, you're not going to destroy your relationship with yourself. You're going to have integrity like this is right. That voice, if you're uncomfortable with yourself, with that voice, mm-hmm. you are also, by the way, uh, the Venn diagram is you are also a permissive parent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guarantee
1: it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's the sure same, it's
2: exactly the same dynamic that's going on. Right. So, right. You know, you have high support like i love you you're amazing you're the best okay all that's awesome we want to be supportive but then it yeah. has to also be coupled with high expectations but because i also expect like you i i expect a lot of you i think you can do it because i believe in you yes. so if you have yes. low expectations it becomes permissive and then the the final parenting style is you know low support low expectations and then we get into the neglectful parent who's mm-hmm. like just neglects kids and doesn't pay attention and mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. but i think that most people I'm just saying this as a general rule of the clients that I tend to work with. I would say most of my clients struggle less with their inner drill sergeant in some way
1: Mm -hmm. than they
2: do with being permissive with themselves.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: So interesting. Yeah. And by the way, the permissive drill sergeant thing. They're related because what happens is you're so permissive. You're so permissive. You're so permissive. And then what happens? You rage, you clamp down. You're like, I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. Right. Okay. So then what happens? The authoritarian parent arrives. So you kind of ping pong between like being super hard on yourself and being very lenient with yourself the inner voice we want to cultivate is the one of the authoritative parent who's like, I love you. Yeah, This is so hard. I know that you are just freaking out right now and I love you. And let's just do it for, go for 30 minutes, Yeah, go for 15 minutes. And if it's really sucky, I'm going to give you permission to leave halfway through. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's That's an authoritative parent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sasha, this has been so great. I want to, as we closing up on this idea of toxic positivity is really not positivity. This has been such a great conversation. And I think those of you listening, thinking about how this plays into how you coach your clients, what you see in your clients and how you can really teach them and empower them to have more of that supportive balance within themselves. Right. But I know Sasha share the definition of positivity because we talked about that and I know you have it there in front of you.
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, I think it's important always to define terms because I think so much of the time we're just, we're just saying something and we don't really even know what we're talking about. So, you know, the definition of positivity is, you know, the practice of being or, uh, or tendency to be positive. That is not helpful, but, or to be optimistic in attitude. Okay. So it's just saying, and in my mind, optimism is merely saying I have hope. Right. I have a hopeful outlook on the future that I believe that this isn't the end of the story for you. Mm, Yes. yes. Yeah. That's it. That's what, that's what is
1: possible.
2: Yes. Yes. This could be a pivot for you. This could be the new chapter in a choose your own adventure novel. Yeah.
1: Oh, I love that.
2: You know, and the other, the second definition of positivity is the presence rather than absence of a certain substance condition or feature. So Mm
1: -hmm.
2: positivity essentially just you, it can't be toxic. <laughs> like it's actually by definition, it can't even be toxic. Yeah. Toxic positivity means that it's it's absent. It's not there. Yeah. But it, right? You're missing the boat entirely. If it's not there, yeah. it's not positive. It doesn't actually make sense. And and I think it's really important the way we speak matters because it's so easy to fall into this pit where I'm like, oh, you know positivity is it's flimsy. It's pejorative. It's like, you know, it's for the people who don't think deeply. You know, if you're paying attention to the world, how could you be optimistic? Mm -hmm. Right? I'm like, Mm -hmm. I actually think the bravest people in the world are the thoughtful, very thoughtful, deep thinkers Mm. who are brave
1: enough to be optimistic Mm. and not despair about the world. Yes. So good. All right. Thank you so much, Sasha. And where can people find you if they want to follow you, learn all about you? I know you have a podcast. Yeah. I'm, I just started a new podcast. It's called The Change Lab. My favorite topic. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we'll have all change. this in the show notes as well, That's of course. So good. But
2: yeah. um, it's just the most fun thing in the world to figure out, right? It's the the universal puzzle everyone has to struggle with. Um, And then also on Instagram at Dr. Sasha Hines, that's my handle. So D-R-S-A-S-H-A-H-E-I-N-Z. And then my website, same, Mm -hmm. drsashahines.com, all the same, but I'm only on, I think I'm on Facebook, but I don't ever go on there. I think it just automatically populates Facebook.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, perfect. Thank you so much for being here. I so appreciate it. Oh, it's been so fun. I love connecting with you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Masterful Coach Podcast. Are you ready to build your amazing business with Molly as your coach? Check out www.mollyclare.com to find out about Masterful Coach Foundations and the 10K Accelerator Method. It's the ultimate support for you as a coach building your ideal life and business.